but let the word of God challenge you. The only way we grow is when we are challenged. It's been proven that when you are challenged, you when you go through struggle, you grow more from challenge and from struggle than when things are easy, than when things are always good. It's a fact. It's already been proven. So when you get challenged, just thank the Lord that he's working in your life to help you achieve and grow and be who he has called you to be. Because if you just come in every time and everything you hear just sounds good and feels good and it doesn't move you to feel like you need to do something different and you need to change. If if that's how you feel every time you come together, you won't change. Good feeling all the time will not cause you to change. All you would want to do is just keep feeling good. So don't, don't, it's good to feel good sometimes. I'm, I'm not taking that away. What I'm saying is if every time we come together, the word of God only causes you to feel good, it means you're not growing. And we want to grow because God has big plans for us. Individually and collectively. God has big plans for you. Tell your neighbor, God has big plans for you. Oh, come on somebody. God has big plans for you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story real quick about some big plans God have. And so, um, you, you know that we had a, um, a church remodel in, in, in Newark at, um, Pastor White's church, my good friend. And we did our remodeled, uh, our remodel and, you know, it was great. And then we had the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International come and do the, uh, the dedication of the building. Today, the general superintendent, David Bernard, secretary, reached out to uh, Brother Warren and said to him, take some pictures and do a little write-up and send it to us because we're going to feature some churches at General Conference, and that church will be one of the churches featured. Now, now, what did Warren know about this um, how many years ago when he started receiving a Bible study in a house down on Massachusetts Avenue? He had no clue. So that's why you got you to gotta say this with conviction. God has big plans for you. My God, we got to we got to understand those things. We got to learn what has transpired throughout the years and see God working to know God has big plans for me. That's not bragging. That's not, you know, not being Christ like. That's being exactly who God wants you to be. You need to know he has great plans for you. And so it's individually and collectively, he has great plans for us, and we cannot even understand the plans that God has for us. But we got to accept it. It doesn't matter how gifted or how not gifted you are. It doesn't matter uh, your struggles and what you've gone through. It doesn't even matter what you're going through right now. Because if some of us would have stopped during the struggle you had 10 years ago, you wouldn't be here today. So don't you let the struggle right now tell you, well, God ain't never going to use me. I'm a mess. I can't do this. And I messed up over here. Well, you messed up 10 years ago. Where are you? Did God give up on you and says, oh, I'm done with you? Come on. Don't let the devil ride you and don't let your flesh ride you. Stay on track and says, I'm going to keep on going because God has big plans for me. They have a, there's a study that came out today and the study said that the people that are 50 and older are extremely more happier than the people that are 35 and under. They said it's proven. 
the 35 and under, they're not happy. As a matter of fact, what they're doing is they're using social media to convince themselves they're happy. (laughs) But the people that are 50 and older, I don't know about 36 and 49. I can't answer that. I can't answer the 36 to 49. I have no clue. All I know, the statistics that I read said that 50 and over are extremely happy and 35 and under are not really happy. So, I, you know, of course, I'm all in the lesson today. So, you know what I thought about? Those of us who are not disciple makers are not as happy as those of us who are disciple makers. Oh, Lord. Preacher, you done messed up. Uh, Well, I, I told you I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to challenge you. Here is a good challenge for you. No matter when you become a disciple maker and you can look and see the person that you have led to become a child of God, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter how hard life gets. And it doesn't matter how weary you get. You look and you say, man, God used me to help that person. They're going. I got to keep going. So you'll always be all right when you become a disciple maker. Because when you look around and you see the people that are still going, that you were able to disciple, you say, all right, Lord, I can make it. All right. So we're, we're going to take our text tonight from 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. The word of the Lord says, be ye followers of me as even, I'm sorry, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So the apostle Paul says, follow him as he follows Christ. So be ye followers of the apostle Paul. He said he was telling the Corinthians, you follow me because I'm following Christ. You follow me because I'm following Christ. And so tonight, let's, tonight's lesson about from disciple to disciple maker is simply stating the fact that we have to make sure we are solid and understand we are disciples of Christ. Yes, I know some people call it saved. I know some people call it born again. I know some people say that I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. All of those things. But it still result in the word disciple according to the word of God. So if you're a follower of Christ, you are a disciple. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. I'm just trying to speak it in your terminology so there's no confusion when we say disciple. So if you believe that you are a true Christian individual, if you believe you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, what's your essence saying is you are a disciple of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so if you are a disciple, you need to make sure that you are a mature disciple and a mature disciple is supposed to become a disciple maker. A mature disciple is supposed to become a disciple maker. It's one thing to be born again, but it's a whole different ball game after you're born again because every person that is born again needs to be discipled. 
Every person that is born again needs to be discipled. And I can tell you a fact that there are many people that started attending churches or just started being among the folks that, 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 that are uh, Christians and they became born again and they, they, after a while you couldn't find them. They departed from the body. And I'm not saying things don't happen and circumstances don't happen and people don't backslide. I got it clearly. But if you check the number of people that have walked away from God, you will see that what they will have in common, they weren't fully discipled while they became born again. So when someone is born again, they need to be discipled. If they're not discipled, we have to sit on pins and needles worrying, are they going to stay or are they going to leave? If you look at all the people, I wish we could do it, but we can't. Everyone that you saw that walked away from God, you go to them and says, were you discipled? And they probably don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you know, I went to church. No, we're not talking about that. And so what I mean by that is you become born again and all you do is go to church services. You will, you were not discipled. So when you become born again and all you do is go to church services, you were not discipled. Church services cannot disciple you. You have to be discipled by an individual, and the only way you can be discipled by an individual is being taught by the individual. Church services do not disciple people. It's the, the discipleship that disciple people. So whether it's coming on a Thursday night and being discipled and then whoever the, 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 the disciple teacher is, they have to be involved in your life to help you along the way. That's true discipleship. It doesn't have to be the person. It doesn't have to be the pastor. It can be anyone in the church that is mature. So if you are a mature Christian, you can disciple someone. It doesn't have to be the pastor alone to disciple people. But you must become a mature Christian. And after you become mature, then it's your responsibility to disciple someone else. Mm-hmm. All right. So our lesson tonight says from disciple to disciple maker. So you have to determine where you are in the process. Are you mature to the place where you can start to disciple people? Well, if you're not, then what you need to say is, well, who is discipling me? So if you're not mature enough to disciple someone right now, then you need to know who is discipling you. And when you become mature enough, in being discipled, then now you need to disciple someone else. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me get through to our lesson here. Early on in the relationship with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was the one who discipled the Apostle Paul. So a lot of times we like to read about the Apostle Paul, how great he was, and all the things that he did. He needed someone to disciple him. And let me tell you something. I've learned this. I didn't know it always, but I learned it. 
no matter where we are in this world, whether it's secular or it's spiritual, you need somebody to champion you for you to go where you need to go. Nobody get to where they're getting to by themselves. Somebody spoke up on your behalf. Somebody took a liking to you and helped you. Somebody discovered your talent and realized it's beneficial and profitable for other things. And they took a, uh, they, they, they came alongside you and says, I'm going to work with this person. But none of us got to where we got to and will continue to go to where we need to go without somebody. If you're doing it on your own, you won't get but so far because you need people to speak up on your behalf. You need people to show favor to you. You need people to help you navigate the way that you need to go. You can't do it by yourself. Now, from the spiritual standpoint, is God working in these people's life to do that? Sure. We understand that's really how it works. I understand that God, you know, guide people towards you that will help you. We understand that. But the bottom line is God didn't do it himself. He didn't come down out of heaven and say, come on, let me hold your hand and take you where you got to go. No, he appointed someone to do this for you. So none of us get where we get to by ourselves. We need someone. So no matter how outstanding and how much we celebrate the Apostle Paul, Barnabas was the one that vouched for him and came alongside him and discipled him enough so he can go on and do all the great things God had in store for him. Yes. So early on in their relationship, Barnabas was the one who discipled Saul before he became Paul. He took him to the church in Antioch, this is what Barnabas did, where they received Saul readily and recognized his calling, anointing, and gifting. So when he got saved, he got saved when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. And when he fell to the ground, the Lord says, hey, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord um, said to um, Paul at the time, and he says, who art thou, Lord? He says, I am Jesus. And so we have the story there where he was now blind and he was led to a uh, a place um, straight called Street. And the Lord sent Ananias to go and meet him. And Ananias came to him and says, brother Saul. So he called him brother before he was even fully converted because the Lord had told him, this man is going to do some great things for me. And so he met him. He prayed for him. The scale fell off his eyes. He received the Holy Ghost first. And then he were baptized. Ananias was the one that was with him through the whole thing and helped him to get baptized. Had all his sins washed away and he received the Holy Ghost. But Ananias wasn't the one that discipled him. So can you bring someone to the church and they get born again and it, 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 then after that someone else disciple them? Sure. Absolutely. That's something that we've seen in the scripture. Because Ananias wasn't the one that discipled Paul. It was Barnabas who discipled Paul. So Paul was, Ananias got him saved, but he needed to be discipled. So Barnabas brought him to the church church. 
and introduced him to all the other elders. And they said, we can recognize your calling. We recognize your anointing and gifting. And so the Lord led them on their first missionary journey together where they saw the hand of the Lord do amazing things. We're talking about Barnabas and Paul after they went to Antioch for a little while. It was not long, however, before Barnabas began to feel a shift in Saul's ministry. Barnabas always knew Saul would do special things for God. But now his spiritual authority, revelation, and considerable skills were fully mature, being manifested in both private and public meetings. So while Barnabas was discipling Paul, he was watching him and how he was ministering and how God was using him. And he, he, I'm sure the Lord showed him, dude is ready. So now that he's ready, let him go and do his thing and you go and do your thing. So He was discipled by Barnabas. As Barnabas saw that he was ready, Barnabas let him loose. It was obvious to Barnabas that Saul's gifting was stronger than his own. Sometimes we have a problem because we minister to someone, they get saved, and when they come in, we don't realize that God can have a calling differently for them than he does for you, and their calling might seem quote-unquote, more powerful than yours, but the bottom line is God used you to reach them. We have to be content with that. Through circumstances that appeared unfortunate, but that God actually used for his glory, the men separated and became two missionary teams, opening up even more nations, regions, and city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So where would this future writer of over half the New Testament be without early influencers? The son of consolation. That's what they call Barnabas, the son of consolation. Would we have ever heard the name Saul without this selfless disciple maker who stuck his neck out and risked his own good reputation at a time when Saul needed it the most? Remember They were afraid of Saul when they first heard about him claiming he was saved. Why? Because he was trying to persecute and kill everybody that said they were Christians. And so when they heard that he was saved, they were like, "Mm, I don't know. We got to check this out because he could be trying to trick us so he can come and get us and, and, and persecute us. But Barnabas, the son of consolation, says, no, I feel in the spirit I need to reach out to this man, disciple him, and then introduce him to the rest of the elders so they can know he's legit. To be sure, there were key players in Saul's conversion, um, in, 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 in his conversion, there were, there were people that, 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 uh, was, part of his his journey, like Stephen, who was stoned. Paul was there. He witnessed um, when, when this man was stoned. But Stephen preached, and Paul heard Stephen preach. Ananias, who we talked about, who went and prayed for him. And listen to this. The unnamed disciple at Damascus, who let Saul down over the wall in a basket, and 
and, and the prophets and teachers at Antioch. There were a lot of people that helped him. The other day when I preached in Connecticut, I said to them before I started preaching, I said, listen, I'm not here because I'm anybody. I'm here because I was able to stand on the shoulders of giants and people that worked in my life that God used to bless me and help me. I'm only standing here because all of those men, yes, I had to be obedient. Yes, I had to obey God. But all the people that God had put in my path to help me today, I'm here because of those people. I will never take where I am for granted and not recognize every single person I can remember that had something to do with my life. And and, and it, it was amazing because after that I started thinking even more that we got to understand this. When God chooses you, you got to understand, me or any pastor or any person can't do anything about what God is going to do with your life. We have a choice. Either we're going to obey God and work with you so God can fulfill his purpose in you, or God will use somebody else. But when you decide you're going to obey God, nothing can stop you. Nobody can stop you. Whoever needs to disciple you, they just got to do their job because there's nothing they can do. And I said to Warren the other day, I said, man, that's why we got to just love people and teach people the right way because nobody have any dim on anybody because when you answer the call of God it just means that God is getting ready to do what he wants to do in your life and everybody that you cross paths with God is using them to add to your life to help you get to where you got to get to and you respect and love them but understand God is the one doing it he really is can't take any credit every time I look back on my life and so many other lives I just smile and said my goodness it's really up to us saying, God, I'm going to trust you. And wherever you take me and whoever you bring in my life, I'm okay with it. I trust you. I know you know what you're doing. And you just got to trust God. And even when you think, man, I don't know about this guy, or man, I don't know about this gal, tell it to Jesus. Say, I don't know about them. But if you put them in my life to help me, then God, help me to just receive and be obedient. Because if you put them there, I want them to be there. I thank God. I can see clearly what everybody that I have had in my life, what they did in my life to help me to be where I am. Man, oh man. Thank God for every one of them. Barnabas was the early stabilizing force in Saul's life who saw something special in Saul, extended himself, and celebrated Saul's great exploits for God. Jesus defined what is meant to be uh, discipleship. He defined it like this. He required his disciples to be subordinate every, I'm sorry, he, he required his disciples to subordinate every other relationship in devotion to him. So God needs you to understand, if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means His relationship, your relationship with him is before every other relationship. People don't like that. Your kid's not before Jesus if you're a disciple. Your spouse is not before Jesus if you're a disciple. He wants you to be married. He wants you to have kids. He wants you to have family. But what he's saying is, don't let that relationship be more important than your relationship with me. And what we always say, listen, your own 
the, the people closest to you that love you, spouse, children, siblings, parents, whatever it is, they can hurt you, not even trying to hurt you. Jesus can't do that. He can't even hurt you if he wanted to. So he's trying to tell you, I've got your best interest with no strings attached. So you need to just trust me and let my relationship with you be the best. As a matter of fact, if you have the right relationship with me, you will have better relationship with everybody else. I'm the, I'm the cog in the wheel that enables you to have right relationship with spouse. I'm the cog in the wheel that helps you to have right relationship with your children, with your siblings, with your parents. I'm the one that makes that the best. So no matter what kind of relationship you have with anyone, if you had it without Jesus, oh, it could be so much better if you get Jesus in your life and make that relationship the key. Mm-hmm. A disciple, what else did he say? He demanded that his disciples carry a cross. Now, many people have de- described the cross as uh, souls. Some have described the cross as just sacrifice. But nevertheless, he says, we have to take up our cross and follow him. So we're going to be a disciple. We have to carry a cross. A disciple without a cross is no disciple. He told his disciples they would have to forsake everything to follow him. Man, we have a hard time understanding that. He also placed an expectation upon his disciples that they would follow his disciple-making model and go make their own disciples. <laughs> Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. That's what he was saying. Paul made a bold offer to the Corinthian church in his letter to them. He invited them to imitate him because he was imitating Jesus Christ. He was... He encouraged them to take a fresh look at who they were following because whoever they were following was not producing good fruit in their lives. They were confused, divided, misusing the gifts of the Spirit, and failing to discern the Lord's body when receiving communion. The penalty for their failure to follow a better example was untimely death, unnecessary physical sickness, and spiritual anema. We should not assign pride, arrogance, or flattery to Paul's offer to the Corinthians to imitate him. If I tell you in this church, imitate me, I always tell my kids this, so, so it's no strange thing. I tell every one of my kids, I've told them from the day they were my kids till now, I said, do what I do. I put that pressure on myself. Do what I do. Yes. Because if they do what I do, and I'm trying to follow Christ, they'll be all right. So it's, it's not because I think I'm a great person. Let me clear that up. And I'll get to that right here. Not because I think I'm a great person. It's just that I know I'm following Christ. So that's why I tell them, do what I do. Because I'm following Christ. Whoever or whatever they were imitate was not working. They needed a proper model of truth, balance, attitude, and godly posture to emulate. Paul signed up for the job. He was qualified, experienced, and as their founding pastor, he was their obvious choice. Paul qualified his invitation to follow him. So when he said follow him, he qualified it 
the Corinthians were invited to follow him only if he was following Jesus Christ. Implied in the invitation was that if he ever ceased, including me, if he ever ceased to follow Jesus Christ, they were to release themselves from following him. However, if he was if, if, if he was imitating Christ, then they were bound to imitate him. We must not miss Paul's caution to follow him only if he was following Christ. Sometimes, this is very key, very key portion of this lesson here. Sometimes Christians become so conf- are so focused on human leader in the church that they lose their vision of Christ. So Christians become so focused on the human leader that they lose their focus of Christ. When you make disciples, you're not supposed to allow them to to look at you so 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 closely as I will make a, a, another um clarification that look at you so closely that you now become everything to them and they can't see Jesus. And that could become a problem. What I said, I I have one thing that I brag about in church since I've been living for God. And that is everyone that I have discipled. None of them was leechy. None of them uh, 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 treated me like um, they they, they needed me to give them an answer to everything. None of them uh, just had to have an answer from me every time. None of them couldn't live a Christ-like life without having to call me or having to get my every input. None of them. Because I feel strongly that every person that I discipled, I made them see Christ and not me. I was able to teach them about Christ and not make them think anything of me. Did they respect me? Do they love me? Sure they do. But I wanted them to know who Jesus is and make them follow him so they realize that's who takes care of them. And so I'm always saying, if there's any kind of proud pride or anything in me that won't send me to hell, that's it right there. I, I like to see people minister to people so well that the people appreciate the person ministering, but they see Jesus in the person ministering to them. That's what helped people to get saved, get saved and stay saved. But I've seen people that they become dependent upon the preacher. Pastor, should we buy this house? Pastor, should we go on vacation? Pastor, should we have kids? Pastor, should we do this? Pastor, should we do that? And they became used to asking pastor that and pastor become used to giving them the information. So now it becomes pastor just controlling their life. And then when something happens, everybody hurt. Because they're hurt because they think pastor messed them up. And pastor mad because he feel like they didn't listen to him and he had control of their life and now they don't want to listen. So he mad because they're not listening and they hurt because he messed up in their mind. And now it's a big mess. Why? Because Jesus was not the one that was just taking care of everything. See it? If you look closely enough at any human leader, you will be sure to find some humanity that will disappoint you. 
The preacher, the pastor, he can't be flawless. So if you're going to look at him closely, oh, trust me, you'll find a whole lot of stuff. Uh huh. Look no further than Hebrews 11 to find at least one fault with all the heroes of the faith. You ready? Abraham lied. Jacob deceived. David committed adultery. Noah got drunk. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Sarah laughed at God. Moses committed murder. And Rahab was a prostitute. That's just a few in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to go look at people and let them take the place of Jesus, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. We need to make sure we pay attention to those that are discipling us and and teaching us, but we need to understand it's all about Jesus. Perhaps this is why the author in the next chapter quickly focused our attention on the faultless model. He may have been saying, take a quick glance at the heroes of faith, but don't you get up close to them. You get close to Jesus. You listen to the disciple makers, but you get close to Jesus. (laughs) If we allow humans to get in our way of following Christ, they certainly will. Too many people are outside the fellowship of the church today because they fix their gaze too closely, keyword closely, upon man and lost sight of the only perfect model. Jesus is the one who invited Thomas to look at him and come close enough to touch him and handle him. Hmm. Even Pilate declared three times, I find in him no fault at all. So if you look close up to Jesus, you will find in him no fault at all. But if you look upon his servants, you will find some faults. But that don't mean that servant can't disciple you. That don't mean that servant can't help you to find your way. That don't mean you can disqualify that servant because only God disqualifies the servants. We like to, you know, Warren and I were just talking just now right before I came in. And we're struggling with certain things that we've heard um, because it seems to us what we always say is it seems like God's mercy is greater than man's mercy. That's not good. That's not good because God show people mercy and God work in people's life as they pass through whatever they're going through and man won't forgive you. Man's still holding you up, holding you accountable. Man's still treating you like you still doing wrong, like you, you, you can't get over your wrong. Man, do that to us. When God is saying, I forgave you. And then Peter challenged God about that and he said 70 times 7. But man won't let you forget it. I got to hold on to it and let you know you ain't right. So it looks like the mercy of God is greater than the mercy. The, the mercy of man is, is, is not, it's is just, they don't, it's worse than what they, it should be. 
you would think they would say, whatever God's mercy is, that's what mine need to be. But man, we are terrible. We are terrible. God forgives people. God delivers people. God set people free. And even when God do it and they mess up the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year, God still showed them mercy. And we're saying, mm, don't mess with them. They ain't right. Man, God, help us. Help us. But something is wrong with us when we do that. And, that, and, 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 and that's, huh. we better pray sometimes, God, show me where I am a mess and where my sin is. Because here is what I'm worried about. I had this conversation. I'm worried that some people sin, you can see it, and you hold them hostage to it, and you have sin that nobody can see. But the problem may be, Sister Monroe, the people who you're holding hostage for their sin, they see it, and they can do something about it because they can't hide from it. And you, because you don't know what your sin is, and your sin never get exposed, you might go to hell. I'm afraid of that. And there's so many people, I know a couple, where they never did anything wrong. And because they never did anything wrong, I'm worried. Because I know the Bible says all have sinned. And so if they never did anything wrong, it means they don't see it. So they will never repent of it. But if I see mine, oh, best believe, baby, I'm repenting every day. And when I mess up again, I repent again. And when I mess up, I repent again. And I keep on fighting that fight till I overcome whatever my struggle is. I hope you're doing that too. Keep my stuff in front of me, Jesus. I don't want to think I'm okay and I'm not. Paul was not demanding blind obedience to himself. He was simply offering his model as a lens through which to gaze upon the goal of all Christianity becoming like Jesus Christ. So Paul was just the lens. But we are all supposed to be striving to be like Christ. God himself instituted this pattern when he created Adam. Genesis 1.27 says God created Adam in his own image. How was it possible for God to create Adam in his own image when he had no image yet? Interesting, right? Paul called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15:45 which gives us insight into I'm sorry Paul called Jesus the last Adam which gives us the insight into how God formed the first Adam in his own image. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The term Word is Logos, which means the plan, the mind, the envisaging, to contemplate, that's what it means, of God. Revelations 13 and 8 refer to Jesus as the Lamb slain, from the foundation of the world. So, I'm saying all that to say this. So before there was ever a sin committed, before there was ever a sinner, there was a Savior in the mind and the plan of God. So back to my whole thing, if God 
before we even messed up. If God says, I got to make sure there's a provision for their mess, why are we holding the mess? Against the people when God says, I provided the, 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 the way out of the mess before I even saw the mess. Before y'all even created the mess. But we still can't be merciful like Jesus. Instead of we try to help reconcile our brothers, help reconcile our sister, which is all part of the disciple making process, we'll rather just... Kind of cast them aside. Yeah. Uh-huh. God is still making us into the image of Jesus Christ through transforming power of our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ongoing work of the cross, the blood, the name, the word, and the grace of God in our lives. That being said, we all work better when we have an example to follow and someone to be accountable to. This is the power of making disciple. So when you become a make a disciple maker, you become accountable to the person who you're helping to be made into a disciple. And they are accountable to you. We never really think about that. So there's an accountability relationship going on. And when you start to live for God with no accountability, you get yourself in trouble. Can you imagine? You all come Thursdays upon Thursdays, Sundays upon Sundays, and I'm not here, and you don't know where I'm at. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like that. You're like, what's up with him? We got to do something about this. So I'll be like some of the old time preachers and mess with you now. So why you don't come and I don't know where you at? I cannot show up without telling somebody. Did you know that? Right? So every time I'm not going to show up, I got to say something. But some of you don't show up and I don't know a thing. Maybe you got to ask yourself, are you a real disciple? There are over 40 named persons in Scripture who are in the downline of the Apostle Paul's spiritual family tree. Paul led them to Christ and was constantly writing them, taking them with him on his many missionary journeys and praying for them. Paul never did ministry alone. Can I tell you, when you are making disciple, you pray for that person. You are always thinking about that person. Hope they're doing well. I want them to do well. If we get more disciple makers, we will reach the world in so many different ways. It's a revelation. If more people will make disciples, God can trust you to pastor churches. That's a revelation right there. What do you mean by that? All right, I'll break it down a little bit more. Because 
Discipling someone meaning you're caring for their soul. That's what pastors are supposed to do. You care for people's soul and you're praying for them and you're wanting the best for them. And you do whatever you can to help them be the best that they can in Christ. So if you start that, this is probably why I ended up here. Nobody asked me to start making disciples. I just started making disciple. And when you start making disciple, it means the Lord can trust you with leading some congregation someplace because you care about the people's life. I feel bad because there's a lot of preachers that they never they, they, they never got into disciple making. And all they know was there's a vacancy at a church and the, the church need a pastor. And so they elected that person to be the pastor. That's not good. Because that person don't know how to care for soul. There's a lot of great preachers. They're not pastors. Uh-huh, they'll preach you under the carpet, man. You'll, they'll make you dance and just go off and run around. And you're like, oh, man, you can preach. Can't make no disciple. He's just a preacher. Mm-hmm. I would go as far as to say, probably the, 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 the best pastors might not be the best preachers. I'll go as far as to say that. Because when you care about people, you're kind of different. You're not in it to say, look at me. You're just, you're just trying to help everybody achieve their purpose in Christ. You don't have time to say, look at me. You are preaching with a different kind of intensity. Your preaching is different because your preaching is to help people. The preachers that's just preaching to preach, they're just preaching to make you feel good. They ain't pastors. They tell you, they just trying to let you see how much they know and trying to make you feel good. But the pastor, on the other hand, when he pray and ask God for a word for the congregation, man, he coming to help you. And sometimes it feel good when he's trying to help you. Other times it don't feel good. Paul's son his son in the gospel was Timothy. Paul was so confident in his disciple, Timothy, and the impact that he had upon his life. He wrote to the Corinthians, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach everywhere in every church, you can let Timothy do the same for you, because Timothy was like Paul. When you are discipled by someone, you're going to have a lot of traits that they have. It's okay. When we make disciples, we are giving someone less mature in Christ an invitation to imitate or be like us. So in order to make disciples, you have to minister or disciple someone that's less mature than you in church. This transformation cannot happen by us alone, but as God does what only he can do, the work of grace within you also as you're being discipled. As disciples, we provide the modeling and the hands-on discipling Jesus commands us to do when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew 28, 19. Jesus emphatically placed an expectation upon all his followers that they would go and make disciples, much like his example of making disciples.
If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then by definition, we are disciple makers. Uh-huh. Who in your life is most likely to become your disciple? Do you have a disciple? And if you don't, why not? If you don't have a disciple, why not? Listen to this. Jesus did not hide out in the wilderness for three and a half years. And then suddenly jump up on the cross to shed his precious blood so we could be reconciled to God. He didn't just come, was born, and hide out in the wilderness like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm just here just to wait my time and didn't get on the cross. No, that's not what he did. He had a date with destiny. His body clock was ticking. He spent those 42 months carefully building relationships with people who would last beyond, beyond his life expect, ex, expectancy. So he knew how long he would be here in the earth, and he made relationships with these men that would last even when he was gone. Jesus instructed his disciples that they would also do what he was doing, and when they figured out how to do that, he was going away. So Jesus trained these 12 disciples, and when they was equipped, well, he had his time clock going. He knew, boom. But when they were all set, ready to go, he left out of here and said, y'all got it. Who do you have now as your disciple that you can say, you got it? Listen. Reconciliation has two parts, salvation and relationship. (laughs) You know, I go to Starbucks all the time. And so my trip every morning, most mornings, I drop my kids off at school and I hit Quaker Bridge Road and I go to Mercer Mall to Starbucks. Some days I run in, run out. Some days I spend some time talking, running my mouth. Not too long ago, I walked in, a friend of mine that owns his own business, he details car. He said, hey, pastor. I said, what's happening? He's a pastor too. I said, what's happening? He said, you know, you know the guy that's always out here on his phone, talking, talking all the time? He, he's, a, um, he's a heating and air, air conditioning and refrigeration guy. He owns his own business. I said, I think I know who you're talking about. He said, well, he's going through some stuff, and I told him to come talk to you. And so I said, okay. So I'm just this crazy. I, I thank God for some habits that I have formed. So guess what? Lunchtime, I'm going to Starbucks. I usually don't go to Starbucks at lunchtime. Once I go in the morning, I'm done. I'm not those people that drink two, three, four um, um, cups of coffee. Just one. And so for that day, I said, I got to find this guy. So lunchtime, I drive back around Starbucks. I didn't see him that day. Do my routine the next day. Lunchtime, woo, he out there on the phone. So I rolled up on him, he talking to two people. I just slipped out a church card and I says, I'm in Starbucks. All of a sudden he comes sneak up behind me. Hey, 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 yeah, yeah, Kevin told me he talked to you. I said, yeah, that's my man. So we talking. Man, he wouldn't leave me alone. 
he just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking and kept giving me his old life story. He told me he was Jewish. I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm married to a lady. She's Russian. And he gave me the whole rundown, and I'm listening to all this stuff. He's telling me about it, all the stuff that he's gone through. And he says, yeah, I want to come to a church. I need, I need to come to church, and, you know, I want to hear some gospel singing. And so he's telling me all this stuff. And so I said, well, we'd love to have you. Of course, he got the business card. And so he said, I don't feel good. Can you pray for me right now in the parking lot of Starbucks? I said, oh, no problem. Laid hands. I don't play. Just let's go. Lay hands right, right then and there in the parking lot. I'm standing in front of Verizon. So we in the, in the street, Verizon right there, Starbucks right there. Come on, let's go. And we prayed. I got done. He says, all right, I feel better now. I said, Lenny, I hope I'll see you soon. Name Lenny. So hopefully, keep Lenny in your prayer. Hopefully, we'll see Lenny in church Sunday. <laughs> Why am I telling you that story? Because your salvation doesn't, it doesn't stop there when you get born again. You got to develop relationships. Listen, some days I say to myself, so I let you in um, my stuff here. Some days I say to myself, man, am I ever going to get somebody from Starbucks saved? I'm just telling you, because I, I, I'm going there. Yeah, I'm getting my coffee, but I'm trying to reach people. And I say that, somebody, am I ever going to get one of these people to understand who Jesus is? And I say that, but I keep going. I'm not stopping, because I just know the Lord, and sooner or later, the Lord's going to do something. So I don't know if Lenny will be the one, or will be somebody else. We did have one, one of the priests to stop by to a Bible study, but I'm, I won't stop. I'll keep on going, because I'm trying to cultivate relationships. So Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, if you go to Hamilton Starbucks, you go to Mercer Mall Starbucks, you go to um, Robbinsville Starbucks, or you go to Lawrenceville Starbucks, and I walk in, Bob, I'm shaking hands and kissing babies. They all know me. And I'm saying, somebody got to get saved from one of these places. <laughs> oh, God. I said, somebody got to get saved from one of these Starbucks. It's so bad. I know their schedules. I know the managers. I knew that they just had their meeting in Chicago. Their, their meeting, they, uh, once a year they had this big meeting. All the supervisors and managers meet in um, Chicago and they go through their whole training deal. And so I know that. So I'm talking to, I said, Brad, you didn't go to Chicago? He said, oh, it's next week. So I'm talking to people. I know the dates they open up the new Starbucks. I'm just like, what is wrong with me? Man. Like, I told him I might as well just work there for drinks. Because... I just I know all the people at Starbucks, like four different Starbucks. This is, you know, everybody have their one neighborhood Starbucks. I have like four Starbucks that I just know everybody. Help me, Jesus. They need to get saved. When Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting his disciples to be with him, act like him, think like him, talk like him, and do what he did. Jesus made disciples. He made, he made friends. He, he didn't leave anybody hanging. Anybody called out to Jesus, he responded to them. And even the ones that didn't call out, the woman at the well, he went and saw her. So he's always making friends because he's trying to turn friends into disciples. And that's our responsibility as a disciple, as a Christian, as being born again. Once you become mature enough, you're supposed to be making relationships with the intention that I can get this person to know who Jesus is. That's what it's all about. 
Remember what we always say. If all it came down to was that you get saved, be born again and have the Holy Ghost, then guess what? You would have just went straight to heaven after you spoke in tongues. It's not about just that. God wants you to get saved, become a mature Christian, and then you start to make disciples of other people. That's his method to reach the world. So don't look at it as anything other than God died for this entire world. He died for every human. And he left the plan to say, I want every person saved. The ones that are born, the ones that's not born yet, I want everybody saved. And when you all get saved, I need your help. That's all he's saying. He said, I died for everybody. I didn't just die for you to get saved. Who do you think you are? He didn't just die for you to be saved and that's it. He died for everybody to be saved. So he needs every one of us to chip in with him and help to save the entire world. So work in your time that God has given you to help him save those that are not yet saved. So it's not about how big your church is. It's not about how famous you will get. It's none of those things. All it is is we're partnering with our Savior who saved us. We're partnering with him to fulfill his plan to reach the whole world that he died for. That's all it is. And so if we just live in for ourselves, he is not happy with that. He wants us to be disciple makers. He wants us to get mature and he wants us to be disciple makers. Any questions? No? Yes, Luke. Don't make it don't don't make it intellectual. Make it make it straight. Say again. How do I find myself what? Oh, man, Luke. Oof. I'm going to, here's the, here's the right answer. Because I'm not even going to get into personality um, thing. Here's the right answer. I am going to say, depending on your relationship with Jesus will depend on how you do that. I got to go there because if you are excited about the Lord in your life, because I've seen it, like when people get saved, they get so excited, they can't wait. Listen, I can use Jordan as an example. I'm going to keep on watching him. When he went to kindergarten, he started witnessing to his teacher. She know today he got he got a favorite teacher. He got a favorite teacher. She loves him. He couldn't do anything wrong. Miss Cassidy. But she loved him to death because the first time he went to school, he told her his daddy a preacher kindergarten and he told her he, he told her about jesus and it turned out her her dad is a pastor his teacher that loves him to death um so so depending on where you are in how you feel about your faith is going to drive how you approach and how you talk to people so that's what i would say and I think that if, if we're excited about the Lord, if we're confident in who we are in Christ, if we understand what God called us to be, I think we will do a good job in approaching people or kind of letting the conversation happen. Sometimes all it takes is you see somebody in front of the line and you say to the people at Starbucks, hey, I'll take care of her coffee. Because you know what your long range goal is, which is to lead her to Christ. All right. Any other questions? Man, that's good. I, t- I taught the class and, 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 and had one question, and it's only 835. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, tonight for your word. 
Thank you for just what you're doing. I sense your presence. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for what you do in our hearts. I know you're working, Lord God. Help us to have the right attitude. And I pray that our faith will not be shaken and that we will serve you with all that we have. Lord, bless this church as you have already done and continue to do. But let them see and understand that it's you that's working on their behalf. Give them the strength to continue to press forward and to take Oh God, the territory and reach the loss that you commanded us to reach and to take. Lord, guide us and lead us home safely as we know you will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.